guys for coming. Um, Jen introduced me. My name is Jacob Handler. I think I know almost almost everybody. Um, this morning we're going to be going over the the verse that is Wellspring that that the name Wellspring comes from, and it's it's sweet. I and the elders are so happy. It's uh, intentional, but we're grateful that the terms like Wellspring and guard your heart, right, shepherd your heart. Those terms have just become commonplace. Uh, it's hard because when, when terms like that become commonplace, we can say them almost out of rote without thinking, what do I mean when I talk about my heart as the wellspring of my life? Or when I, you know, you just say wellspring like it's the ministry, it's the thing you do on, Wednesday, on Thursday morning. Um, or you can say in small group, you can talk about how are you doing shepherding your heart? How are you caring for your heart? And we use that as shorthand for some really important truths, but you can forget when you use that shorthand what it's really all about. I don't think I'm going to be able to cover everything that those terms should encompass this morning, but I do want to focus on Proverbs 4.23, which is in some of the implications, and that's the heart um, behind our emphasis of focusing on the heart here at, at Grace Bible Church. So our, our passage today will be Proverbs 4.23. Solomon there tells us that above all else, as an item of first importance, that we must guard our hearts. And it's, it's foundational for the Christian life, that command. We must never graduate from this heart guarding. It's not like after you've been a Christian for a certain number of years, you know, you've just uh, you got the heart guarding thing down and you can graduate on to more important things. Rather, every day for all of your life, heart guarding must be, it really, it's the first importance at the top of the list of things that you aim to be about to do. And so that, that's why we made the, the foundational classes build Wellspring that we really want everybody in church to go through and then to go back through. It's nice to see so, so many of you have already heard this year after year after year. Try not to zone out. Uh, try not to say, oh, I know this. I got this heart guarding thing down. Or I already know this message. I've heard it before. We do this on purpose where it's the foundational class that everybody goes through. And you're encouraged to go through year after year after year because we don't graduate from heart guarding. I, I love giving this lesson because I, I need it multiple times per year. I need to be reminded of the importance of guarding my heart and what that actually means. So we cannot, we must not ever play leapfrog over our hearts. Right? We can't take our hearts for granted and and we have to um, actually have this truth affect the way that we live. So open your Bibles to Proverbs 4.23 if you're not already there. But before we start reading God's word, I'm, I'm going to pray. So pray with me. God, I, I beg, I plead that as we have your word open in front of us, as I speak, as I seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. I beg that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, and that you would cause us to worship you. God, I, I pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, please grant my heart and the hearts of these hearers, give us a submissive posture before you as we approach your word. We don't necessarily need you to, to understand the grammar of this passage or to say, okay, I, I know what that means. But God, apart from your spirit, we're helpless to accomplish heart change. We're actually helpless, apart from you, to, to do what this says. And so I, I beg that you would give us a submissive posture, that you would work in us obedience to your word. You would work in us worship towards you as we see you revealed in your words. Now, these are your words that we're going to read. Your words are powerful. When you spoke, everything came into existence. And when God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
when, when you spoke, you showed into our hearts to bring the light of the knowledge, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those are powerful words. God, I pray that we would recognize them as powerful, and that we would long to have that power applied to us. And finally, God, just transform us, sanctify us, maybe even save some, as your word is preached this morning. God, I pray that I would be applying these words to my heart first and most. I'm not standing up here as one who has this mastered, as one who says, do this because it's what I do perfectly by any stretch. God, I, I pray that I would be humble before these words, that I would do a better job during this message and going out from here and guarding my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, look down at Proverbs 4.23. Super simple verse. Super simple. There's a what, a why, and a how here. Right? Super simple. You'll have it memorized. But, but armed with, with these parts, the what, the why, and the how of the verse, you're going to be better equipped to pursue God, better equipped to fight sin. I want you to remember these things when you ask in small group, how are you doing shepherding your heart? How are you doing guarding your heart? When you wake up in the morning and you open your Bible, you say, I need to be about heart guarding today. Maybe have this outline come to mind. The what, the why, and the how, and how they they fit together. In this verse, um, there's a what, and that's the command that Solomon, the wise father, has for his son. The what of Proverbs 4.23 is, keep your heart, as the ESV or New King James says it, or watch over your heart. Or guard your heart. And then there's a how. How are, how are we to do this? Solomon is speaking to his son, the wise king, to his son. He's telling him, guard your heart. How is his son supposed to do this? He's supposed to do it with all vigilance. He's supposed to do it above all else. And we're to do it with all diligence. And Why? Why is this such an important command? Why, why would we do this command with such importance placed upon it? Well, it's, it's the source of all of life. It's the wellspring of life. Okay, that's, that's going to be the outline for, for today's message. We're just going to go item by item through the parts of the verse. Look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about these things. But as, as you're learning, try to fit it in your mind. Try to fit what I talk about in, you, in your mind into that what, the why, and the how of the passage. So that when you're rehearsing this to yourself in the future, when you're like, I need to be about heart guarding. There's going to be a lot said. But you can, you can at least rehearse this outline to yourself and glean bits and pieces to help yourself apply it. All right, so let's start this morning looking at the why. Okay, We're going to start with the why and then move our way back. So the why of Solomon's command, why is Solomon's son, why are we supposed to guard our heart above all else? Well, it's the, it's the source or the well from which all other behaviors flow. Have you, have you ever sinned? Obviously have. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? That doesn't seem like me. Have you exploding at your roommates, a, a short temper with your husband, anger at your kids? Maybe entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies, laziness, lying, gossip, sharp speech. Where did that come from? That sin, indeed everything that you do, good or bad, every action, every thought, every deed, every word, you can think of it like water. And that water flowed from somewhere. And and Solomon reveals truth that that water that what you did that sin or that good deed that flowed from your heart so that's the why of the command is because the heart is the wellspring of life you're to be guarding it above all else but understanding that proverbs 423 will help us get at the root of sin and it'll prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of our problems and it'll guide us towards what actually walking in purity of life looks like. 
So the inspired Solomon gives that profound illustration. You can think of everything that you do, everything you think, everything you say, as water flowing from a common source, and it's your heart. Obviously, it's not the physical blood-pumping heart, but there's definitely some similarities there. We'll talk about that. But, but rather, this is the term, the heart, that the Bible uses to describe your most inner you. It's the source of all that you do, think, and are. And this might sound pretty simple, but this simple truth has some profound consequences. It reveals the relationship between our heart and actions. So consider this. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Right? There's no part of the way that you live, nothing, that didn't flow from your heart. The flip side of that's pretty important to understand. There's no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. Right? If there's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart, nothing's off limits. But if that's true, the heart has the most profound impact on your life because there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. The images of a city's vital water source, right? Think of, of back in these days. The city would have a source of water. If there was no water, there could be no city. And pure water at that source would provide everybody in the city with pure water. But if the source was contaminated, there's, there would be no, no hope for pure water. Much worse if that source was actually a well filled with poison, right? What, what would that city look like? And this is, this is a problem for humanity. Because the Bible describes the heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. <clears throat> Probably coming to mind to be Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all else, above all things, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Maybe even more damning, consider Genesis 6-5. Turn there in your Bibles, Genesis 6-5. So this is, right, we have coming off the heels of creation and the fall, and all the consequences of death that enter humanity from the fall. God looks down at the human race. And what did he see? He saw wickedness in man's heart, and he was moved to kill every single person, actually all living, but Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. Look at Genesis 6-5, and we see God's assessment, God's perfect assessment of the human heart apart from him. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. So was that just back then, just pre-flood? Think about it. The flood didn't do anything to change humanity's heart. That's made abundantly clear from in scriptures. So the flood didn't change the heart. So this is just as true of humanity apart from God today as it was then. That description of man's heart as only evil continually. Have you ever considered that that was you? If your heart's unchanged, that that still is you? If there is no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring, and if this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually, what would you expect to come from the woman with this evil well source? Right? So, so if you have the truth of Proverbs 4.23, all of life comes from your heart. Then you have God's description of the heart. It's only evil continually. 
poisoned well produces poisoned water, and a wicked, unrighteous heart can only produce wicked, unrighteous actions. Right? And so the Bible, always consistent with itself and the truth, it says exactly this. Think about Romans 3, 10 through 12. If we did some, some biblical math, if you take Proverbs 4.23, the heart, the, all, of the, all of your life flows from your heart. And you combine that with Genesis 6.10, what's the result? None is righteous. No, not one. Right? If all, everything that you do comes from your heart and your heart is wicked, there would be no people, no exceptions to that rule. That no one is righteous. No, not one. No one would understand. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. And together, all of humanity, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Right? Even if you have an unchanged heart, even things that might look good, they're not coming from a source that's desiring to glorify God. They're coming from, no matter how good they might look, they're coming from this desperately wicked heart. And they're not good. We are a bunch of wicked people apart from God with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts. And that's the description of unregenerate man, right? That's the unmixed sinful condition. And that's why it's unmixed. There's no good in the heart. It's only evil continually. And there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from your heart. But remember, God does not leave the Christian in this situation. Right? If you're a Christian, this is not talking about you. This is talking about who you were, not who you are. So speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well, God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. None of that is from the person. It's not like God sees some goodness in the person and says, oh, I'm going to make him a little bit better. No, God sees Israel. He sees the, the Christian. He, he sees us with a heart that's incapable of good, incapable of pursuing him. And that's why the subject of the verbs is I. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Because those things couldn't come from your heart. If you're going to do anything good, they couldn't come from your heart while you have that Genesis 6-5 heart, or 6-10 heart. No, it's 6-5, sorry. What, that's what God is going to do for Israel. And it's what God does for us. It's what God did for you when he saves us. I think I love this imagery of taking out the old heart and putting in a new one. I do cardiac anesthesia. I see Rebecca smiling. She's going to like this too. Mm-hmm. You like hearts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool to see and sobering to see just how important your physical heart is. All that much more your, your spiritual heart. But I get to do anesthesia on hearts every day. And I get to see a lot of really, really sick hearts. Um, people that are going to need heart transplants. It's sobering to see what happens to a body when the heart goes bad. The, the blood stops flowing effectively. The whole body goes bad. God designed healthy hearts to be nice and elastic. Right? Blood flows in and, and the heart stretches to accommodate it. And then it, it pumps oxygen-rich blood throughout the body to feed, feed all the organs. But when a heart is diseased... It's when you have a, a massive heart attack or some viruses will do it, something that damages your heart, your heart literally becomes like stone. It's crazy to watch on, on your echo. It's, it doesn't expand when the blood comes in. It doesn't pump. It's um, When the heart's diseased, 
blood will only flow passively and it, and it pumps so weakly that the result is that organs are starved. The brain starts deteriorating, right? You, you look at something, you're like, they're just not right. Their liver starts failing. The kidneys start failing. Muscles refuse to work. The body's incapacitated with weakness and lethargy, ultimately leading to misery and death. But it's crazy if you see the same person after a heart transplant. That dying body where every organ was failing. The mind wasn't sharp. Muscles couldn't move. You get a heart transplant. Hearts replaced by the heart from a, a healthy person. And dying organs are rejuvenated by new blood flow. A slow mind quickens. A body that looked like death is filled with new life. And Christian, this is, you had the old dead heart of stone and God gave you a new heart of flesh. That's what God did for you when he saved you. It's what God did to me when he saved me. But even more important than that physical heart transplant was this spiritual heart transplant. You were born again, John 3, 3. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. God has given you a new heart. And at regeneration, God didn't just change you from the heart, but he declared you righteous, declared us innocent from all of our past sins and present sins and future sins. And so from the first time, we now have the ability to obey God and love God from the heart. Right, we still live in a mixed condition, right? Uh, our flesh is still there. We still have sinful flesh. And our heart does not love and serve God perfectly. We're able to sin. And God will have to continue to sanctify us for life. But, but we must not miss this. When we see the sinfulness of our heart, we, we must not miss that as Christians, for the first time, you have a new heart. You're able to not sin, right? You're able not to sin, and you're able to please God. That's something that somebody with that Genesis 6-5 heart can't do. It's not available to them, and it wasn't available to you, apart from God's grace. Right? Now you are able to shepherd your heart from sin and to God, based on what God had done. There's no merit in that. You don't shepherd your heart from sin to God to earn God's favor. But you can only do that because God's favor was given to you and he changed your heart. Now with this new heart, you've been declared righteous in justification and you've been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out that righteousness through sanctification. Right, we used to be slaves to sin. Why? You had a master, and that master was sin. Because your heart was only sinful. You used to be disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Turn there. Paul starts in Romans 6.17. He says, thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin... You've become obedient. How? Right? You used to be disobedient from the heart. How have you become obedient, you who once to, were slaves of sin? You've become obedient, and underline this, you've become obedient from the heart. This is not a superficial obedience. This isn't some earn God's favor obedience. It isn't some fake it obedience. It's your obedience now as a Christian as no longer a slave to sin but a slave to righteousness? It is, it must be an obedience from the heart. Because you've become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, one of my favorite authors, 17th century Puritan, he said it well in his book we carried on the book table. It's called Keeping the Heart. He said, the heart of man is his worst part before salvation. And it's his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that, right? Paul, when he's saying this, he says, thanks be to God. 
You can't say this without saying thank you, God. And you can't talk about this without praising God. And I mean that, seriously. Like, in your heart right now, stop and thank God for that. Praise Him. Thank Him for His regenerating work in your heart. Right, this might seem like old news, a theological truth that you're hearing for the umpteenth time. But familiarity can sometimes rob us if we're not careful of the opportunity to worship. We oftentimes aren't as thankful as we should be for things that we're familiar with. Have you thanked God today for the air that you breathed? For the coffee that you drank? For the food that you ate? For the friends that you know? For the family that he gave you? That's convicting as I say it. But familiarity just breed comfort, a lack of opportunity to recognize God's goodness in giving us something. And, and you can get familiar with this new heart and the gospel change that he's brought in, he's made in you. And MacArthur has said it well. I heard this one time. He said, the same sun that melts the wax, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. <clears throat> And before this glorious truth of the gospel, fight now, fight every day, every morning when you open God's word, all through life, right? In the midst of anxiety, with thankfulness, let your requests be made known to God. So you open up God's word in the morning. You say, God, your mercies are new every morning. Thank him for those. And the greatest mercy, the greatest blessing that we have is this new heart that lets us Obey God from the heart. So sit under the hot, blazing, magnificent truths from God's word, especially in the gospel. I encourage you, go get the gospel primer over from the table, from the, the book table. Get, we have so many good resources to help you shepherd your heart each, each morning to the gospel. But if you're not careful, you're going to read the same old truths and sit under those unaffected. Don't ever let that happen. Every day when you open your Bible, there should be at least one question that you do not get your butt up out of that chair until you've answered it. You may even want to make sure that you don't get up in your morning time in the Word until you've written this down with your pencil or your pen. What does this text that I read in God's Word, what does this reveal about God? Write that down and don't stop there. Anytime you see something revealed about God in Scripture, in a sermon, in life, do not just merely say, I know that, and move on. Oh good, I, I got that wired. I, we can't do that. Anytime you hear something about God, a truth about God, and, and look for this all the time, especially in his word, do not move on until you have moved your heart to worship. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay fight to have a soft heart like wax that melts in worship and praise every time you see God revealed. So anyway, back to back to the lesson. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. Right? And that would be horrible news if it wasn't for this great news. The gospel that when God saves us, he changes us from the heart. And that change is not superficial. If you're a Christian, you are saved from the you are saved and changed from the very core of who you are, from the wellspring of your life. So let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do, sit under that massive truth of the gospel. Right? Any efforts you make are not self-justifying because you've already been justified. They aren't merely behavior modification because God's changed you from the heart. They're not done to earn God's favor because this is all from God for God. Okay, this is, you have to preach. Everything you resolve to do today, I pray that there would be resolutions that you make today. That whereas there's sin revealed, you would repent. But it has to be under that massive truth of the gospel that you're only able now to please God. You're only able to shepherd your heart because God's made it new. So Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, he wisely advised the church, and this is on your um, 
was on your sheet. Bottom of the second page. He said, Till the Spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that is good while the heart is void of the Spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is the hypocrite's religion. But praise God, he has no interest in religion, in that kind of religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gave us new hearts. Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. If you're not a Christian, please repent of your sins and trust in God to forgive you of those old sins. If you came here and you're like, I'm coming to church. I want to do this midweek thing because I need a little religion. I need some God. I need to clean up my act. You can't. Anything that falls short of turning to God in repentance and faith and pleading with him to change you from the heart, trusting in his righteousness alone and not anything that comes from you, you have to despair of yourself. Anything short of that is this. It's a hypocrite's religion. God doesn't take any pleasure in that. He'll see right through it. And ultimately, all those efforts, they're going to be sin because they come from a heart that's wicked apart from God's changing it. So repent. Where you see superficial repentance, where you see superficial desire for religion or cleaning yourself up, repent. Beg God to change you from the heart. Cling to him in faith. He loves to do that. He will do that. So Christian, your heart's precious. Not, it's not only precious because it's the source from which all your life flows, but it's also precious because it was made new in the gospel. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. Actually, imagine a city with a well that's full of nothing but poison. Right? That's the description of the old heart. There's no water in that well. Imagine a city's well that's full of poison only. The city wouldn't flourish. In fact, the city would only be full of death. Then imagine if one day a king provided clean water to that city for the first time. Their old well that was full of poison now has a new well for the first time that has some fresh water in it. Immediately the city would be full of life and those who had been made weak, anemic, and dying from drinking only poison had a taste of that that they never knew, pure water. Right? Those people would know the importance of guarding that wellspring. Right? They would want to get every last remnant of poison out of that well. And they'd want to make sure that it was full of pure water. You know what would never cross their mind? They would never think, man, I wonder how much poison I could let back in my well and still be okay. They would guard that wellspring with all vigilance because they would know that their very lives depended on it. But even more than that, they would know the joy that comes from pure water. They would know the death that came from the poison. Christian, we are those people Our hearts were unmixed in our sinfulness. And at salvation, for the first time, you and I could glorify God from the heart. And we could taste the joys that come from that. Come from this new relationship with God and this new heart. Guard your heart. It's precious. So in light of this illustration, the city with the wellspring and poison, consider the The quote from Charles Spurgeon at the bottom of page two. And as I read, look for the wellspring disciplines there. Heart, home, ministry. Look what sin loves to do. Look what sin will do to the heart. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, it stays not there, but it diffuses itself all over the body. And it doesn't stop until it has infected all. 
Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man. Right? Sin won't be content to just affect one part of your life. It gets to your heart and affects everything. And then man to man, it's not content to affect just you. It goes to the women around you, your family members, till it affects the whole family. And it, sin won't stay there, right? It runs like wildfire from family to family until it has poisoned a whole town and a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this to be true. Poison of sin, it, it won't be content to stay in your own heart. Right? That should be enough reason to guard your heart from sin is the effect that it will have on you. But sin, will, it'll seek to destroy you in your home, in your ministry, in your church. I'll tell you what, uh, our small group studied 2 Samuel. We just finished this story of David and Bathsheba, talking about that David never would have sinned with Bathsheba if he would have had any clue of the consequences. Right? Imagine, okay, so there's going to the sword will never depart from my house. The effect of this sin will be that my son will rape my daughter and then be murdered by my other son who will take my throne and then be killed. And there's loss of life that's devastating across the nation. A legacy that affected King David down, his, his legacy down to today. We can never anticipate the effects of that sin on his own heart, his life. And what the nation looked like for generations. I'll tell you what, if he would have thought of the consequences, if he would have been aware of those consequences, <coughs> that look at Bathsheba wouldn't have seemed so sweet. It's not only for kings where, those con- where sin loves to run and ruin. You and all the nations, or families and nations. And where you see sin, repent. Don't play. Don't play with sin. Right? If somebody reveals your sin, thank them. David, man after God's own heart, showed us that. Nathan came to him and he he repented. He confessed his sin, recognized his sin against God, and repented because he, he recognized the seriousness of it. Don't play with sin. So... The, the truth that the heart is the wellspring, that's the, that's the why, it leads us very naturally to the what, right? The command. If the heart's the wellspring, we, we can't help but say, if, if it's so important because it's the source of all of your life, what should you do about it? Well, you guard it. You guard your heart. So notice with me that as Solomon is speaking to his son in Proverbs 4.23, he gives this instruction as a command. This is an imperative. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. The word here for guard, watch, keep, it's the same word used elsewhere in the Old Testament that describes an alert sentry, a guard on top of a watchtower. Like one that that might be on a Judean mountainside. That would be all over. The people reading this, the original audience, they understand the importance of these watchtowers. They could probably look out at the the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and see these watchtowers. And those watchtowers, they'd be guarding the most valuable resources of the city, and, and that would be the water source, among other things. And so a city with a pure water source, they would place guards around that water to protect it. A city at war, how much more would they have guards always on watch? knowing that a very, a very real threat could appear at any moment. Guys, we have, we have a precious, newly pure water source with ever-present threats seeking to poison our well, right? Our, our flesh within and Satan without wants to tempt this water or uh, taint this water source. Where do temptations come from? 
It's your own desires that wage war within you. Uh, you're at war with your flesh. Always present. Right there. And Satan would love to, to, to destroy this as well. Right? A city at war, they're going to guard the heart. Or they're going to guard their wellspring. You're at war. Guard your wellspring. So how can you keep it pure? Right? We've talked about this. So you're like, okay, I'll, I want to guard it. What do I do? David asked that question. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. And read with me. So, so that question, you're like, I want to keep this wellspring pure. You can say, how could a young woman, how could a young man keep his heart pure? I know it must be pure. I'm convinced. Jake, you convinced me. I want my heart pure. How? It's the way I don't have to invent things. I don't have to come up with something. David asked this, basically, basically this exact same question. Psalm 119, verse 9. He said, how can a young man keep his way pure? Before you go on, how would you answer that question? When you think, I need to keep my heart pure, what comes to your mind first? See if it's the same as what David says. David says, I want to keep my heart pure. The only way I can do that is by guarding it according to your word. What does that look like for this next sentence? If you get nothing else from today, this sentence is what you need to get. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Right? There certainly is a guarding from sin. But how did David guard his heart? He guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. When you guard your heart, you're going to be protecting it from evil. Right? You're not going to walk into disobeying God's commandments. That's right. But you must not have in mind, first and most, I need to guard my heart from sin. First and most, we need to guard our hearts to God. You will protect your heart from exposure to sin. You're not going to think, how much sin can I let back in this thing? How much poison can I put in this well and still be okay? But more importantly and more fundamental to the guarding of the heart, it isn't what you keep out, but what you keep in. Seek God with all your heart. Right, so... Doing that, you're going to make sure that you're not shepherding your heart to like a pharisaical, behavior-focused religion. Do you see how if your focus is, when you open up God's word, say, how can I keep my way pure? I'm going to keep it according to your word. You're not looking first for, tell me what to do. What are you looking for first? God, show me you. Right? We shepherd our hearts with the word of God, to the God of the word. I tell my small group every single week, when you open up, and I've already said it today, when you open up the Bible, first thing on your mind is, what does this reveal about God? How must, this, how must that truth affect me? So you're not going to be looking first for commands. You're going to obey commands because they're God's commands. And to ignore them is to despise God. Right? You're going to flee from sin because of this is who God made you to be. And what sin is, it's an affront against God. You're going to flee those things. And because you can't love the world and the things of this world and love God together, you can't serve God and money. You can't be a slave of sin and a slave to God at the same time. You know what the Pharisees missed? Jesus says, you search the scriptures. In John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. But he identified the problem in them. He said, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They spent all all kinds of time in God's word, but they missed the point. We can spend all kinds of time in God's word and miss the point. Don't miss the point. 
You shepherd your heart to, with the word of God to get the God of the word. With my whole heart, I seek you. When you seek God, you, you beg him, God, please don't let me wander from your commandments. Does that make sense? Which one comes first? Which one comes second? So you see now how important it is to flee sin. And in your fleeing, you fix the gaze of your heart, hopefully on God in his word. Right after this in Proverbs, it talks about don't let your, your gaze move. Don't let your feet, your, your walk veer to the right or the left. You're fleeing sin. You're guarding your heart and you're keeping your eyes in <coughs> one place. You have one target in your Christian walk. And it's God. So how must we do this? Right? We have the what. We have the why. Then the what. And the how just flows obviously from it. It almost should go without saying. God's given us this new heart. And all of our life flows from this heart. To guard it. How are you to do it? Just sort of, you know, make it. It's sort of important. No, no, the how is, is sort of obvious at this point, but, but he says it. He says we must guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life above all else. You could say with all diligence, with all vigilance. We set up a guard for our heart by above all else, not being content to let even an ounce of sin in. And not settling for any substitutions for God, for what we're pursuing. But rather we guard our heart by seeking God with our whole heart through his word. All the time, every day, no higher priorities. No days off. Right, Christmas is coming up, we take breaks from all the normal routines of life. You can't put heart guarding on, on break because it's Christmas, because you're going to have family over, because you have dinner to make, kids to deal with presents to wrap. Right? You can't say, I got to get to work early today, or I got to go run, or I got to do, right? You have all these things that you prioritize. I have this day. I have to put all the important stuff up at the beginning of the day. Oh, but I have something really early today. I'm going to take a break from pursuing God and his word. I beg you, because of the importance of this, there's no higher priorities. You don't get to take days off. And you don't only shepherd your heart to God and his word in the morning when you open up his word. No, you do it throughout the day. Right? You, you want to be more aware of God at any moment in your day than you are of anything else. Right? A, 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 an army at war. What are they always aware of? The ever-present threat. Right? They, they never quite sleep right when they're on the battlefield. Because they're very aware of, I can get killed at any moment. Or, I need to look for the opportunity to get the goal that, that I'm fighting for. Um, don't, don't let your heart rest. Don't be aware of anything more than you're aware of God. What does that do for you? If the unexpected happens, for me, you get that call, your child has leukemia, what are you most what are you most aware of? The fears? Oh no, what does this mean? By God's grace, I, I'm, I'm lived, I, I'm still living that, that fight of, I want to be most aware of God and his sovereignty over that situation. To where the first response is, I trust you. Right? What, is, what does the Bible say to do with anxieties? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, how? Through prayer and supplication. So you have this anxiety pop up. I'm anxious. I have an opportunity to sin. Right? Anxiety isn't, isn't a psychological disorder. It's a sin against God. I have this opportunity to sin could be as little as I'm going to be late or am I going to die and anything in between you have an opportunity to sin 
Don't be anxious, but let your request be made known to God. Okay, what are you most aware of? God, you're in this, over this, and you're sovereign. And how do you do it? With thanksgiving. What are you most aware of? God, his goodness, his sovereignty over everything. It's going to guard your heart. That's exactly what it says. Don't, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right? Your prayers, your response to anxiety, you could say this about any threat to sin. If it's based on a pursuit of God and an overarching awareness of God more than you're aware of anything else, that's what heart guarding is about. And you know what the cool thing is? It's not even dependent on you. What's going to... If I, if I tell you don't be anxious, you're going to say, I have no power to accomplish that. Right? That, that command, it's like the, the command in James 1. Hey, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. <laughs> I don't have the ability to do that. I can't not be anxious. I can't count it all joy on my own. But you know what? There's a command that's impossible, followed by a command that you can do, right? Don't be anxious. But with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I can do that. And then what? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding is going to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you see how you're, you're not pursuing behavior modification? You're not pursuing most um, rules, regulations. You're, you're going to say, don't let me wander from your commandments. God, don't let me be anxious here. I don't want to waste this. I don't want to waste this trial. But in it, I'm not going to muster up self-effort. I'm not going to muster up obedience. I'm going to pursue you in the midst of this. Right? What is Lamentations? Jeremiah, he's sitting there. He's looking around. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. He's looking around, and he sees a mom eating her own children. It's so bad in Jerusalem. Right, the city's under siege, and he's like, God, what is, what's going on? We're your people. We're being punished by people more wicked than us. I don't get it. I don't get it. What does he do? He, he, he talks all through the first half of chapter 3 of Lamentations. I feel like, like God's against me. Like he's given me gravel to eat. Like, his, like he's put arrows in my vital organs. In my, I'm in pain, because it, and it feels like God's against me. But then he says, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? He doesn't say, God says to trust him. I need to trust him. He doesn't bring commands to mind first. He preaches who God is to his heart. He guards his heart with the truth of who God is. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know what? You need to study God's word today and tomorrow so that when you find yourself in those trials and those opportunities to sin, and those opportunities to pursue God or not, you, you don't really see them coming. They don't give us a lot of warning. You want to study God's word today and study God's word tomorrow in a way that you're ready to preach that sermon to your own heart. Right? That's why we look for who God is in his word. If you know from day after day after day of being content to see the same old truths in God's word, God's good. Right? Do you, if you were to come up with, if the only thing you could write from your time in God's word today is, right, if you're going to write down, what does this reveal about God? God's good. Or God's sovereign. You might be tempted to move on past those truths and say, well, I need to find something cooler. I need to find something better. Uh -uh. Think about what those, there's, there's plenty. You'll never exhaust the riches of scripture, what it says about God. But think about 
think with me about what those two truths will do. We've been talking about anxiety. What will those two truths do for anxiety? God is sovereign and God is good. You get to face an anxiety, I'll tell you what you'll do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty sovereign hand of God. Because at the proper time, he'll exalt you. I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. God's sovereign. He's good. I have an opportunity to be anxious. Faith in God's sovereignty and his goodness eliminates anxiety. It makes that impossible. It will keep me from wandering from the command, don't be anxious. Because I've pursued God. I've found who he is in his word. And I have faith. I can trust him. So if all that you can do with those two truths in the face of unimaginable trial <coughs> is say, God, I trust you. That's how you guard your heart to God in his word. Does that make sense? You could do that with any command, any, any opportunity for sin, any opportunity for obedience. Get down to the heart of it. How does knowing who God is and believing it help me walk in this obedience? How does knowing God and who he is and believing it guard my heart from sin to God? Now, do you see how in, when you're doing that, now all of a sudden behavior modification doesn't even make sense, right? You're not going to clean the cup. You're not like, oh, I need pure water. I'm going to clean the cup. I'm going to put this water in so it looks good. No, because you've been dealing with it from the heart. You're dealing with sin at the heart level by pursuing God with your whole heart. And the effect is that you flee sin. And we don't do behavior modification. So when you're in small group and somebody is confessing sin, what do you do? You don't bring them first and most. You need to do better. That is true, right? But what's missing? What they need to see, what you need to see, what I need to see is they see who God is, what he's done. And then in light of that, obey. Right? It's not enough to just preach gospel truths to my heart. But it actually reveals if I'm preaching these gospel truths to my heart, if I'm not changing by them, I'm actually not preaching them rightly to my heart. Right? With my whole heart I see you, David says. What does he follow it up with? Let me not wander from your commandments. You can't have one without the other. If you have a let me not wander from your commandments without a seeking of God, that's legalism. If you have a let me seek you with my whole heart, God, and there's a contentment, to despise God. That's what David calls disobedience. Despising God. And you're content to despise God? Oh man. Right? That's, that's demon religion. When you know something true about God, like, oh, you believe God's one? Good job, James 2. Even the, the demons believe that and they tremble. <laughs> You don't want to be a Pharisee, and you certainly don't want a demon's religion. You want to pursue God with your whole heart and obey. So, there are uh, some questions in your homework. If you look, if you look at your homework, there's, there's some questions that might help you evaluate how you've been doing guarding your heart. I call, I call them the water purity checks. Right, like a city that wants to say, like, they're like, okay, I think I'm doing a pretty good job of keeping this water pure. Like SRP, they might be like, you know, as far as we can tell, the lakes are clean and there's no contamination in the pipes. But, but they're actually going to do some water tests in the house. Right, how do you know how your heart's doing? Well, it's deceitful. You can't just look at your heart and see how it's doing. The only thing you can do is look at the water that flows from your heart in that sense, right? See, what does my life look like? What's motivating me? What grabs my affections? And that's what, what I want you to do for your homework is uh, answer the, the water purity question. So first, in the top, it says, write out a prayer to God rehearsing the gospel. Just review the message. But don't just like write it out in a bullet point. First, pray it to God, because there's going to be lots of opportunity for praise 
and lots of opportunity for prayer. But next, the water purity check. For each one of these, uh, ant respond. And these are, are checks like that look at, the, at what's flowing from your life or look at the efforts that you've been trying to make towards guarding your heart. First, and, and, and say, what do these uh, reflect about how you've been guarding your wellspring? What practices do you need to maintain? And I suspect everybody in here has some practices for guarding your heart that are good. You need to do, keep pursuing those all that much more. But what might need to change? Right? Where have you gotten comfortable? So first question, this is, this is helpful for me. Where do I sense a presence or absence of affection for God? Or do I usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God, right? Like, am I content to get up and the first, things on, first thing on my mind is work? Or I can't wait to watch the next episode of that TV show that I am watching. Or I have so much to do. Or good things like, man, I love my wife and my kids. Or I love my husband and my kids. Right? It, or is God and it, I can't wait to get in God's word to get this God of the word who I love. Do you sense a presence or absence of affection? And, and how can you fix that? Right? Like if you sense an absence of affection, married woman, for your husband, what do you need to do? It's not like it, it, you're going to take some, some steps towards changing that. And, and there's going to be some practical things like spend more time with him and some things that you might just need to change in your heart, repent of, in your relationship to God, your relationship towards, towards him. Do, do the same thing with God. What, what, is, what does that question reveal about your relationship to God? This is a really simple one. Are you, question B, are, are you daily shepherding your heart to God and his word? Right? It, and so just that question will reveal something. Are you content to go about your day without opening up the Bible? And then, right, we, we said the flip side is, why are you opening your Bible each day? Right, to check the box because you just like getting all your to-do lists done. Or maybe because generally you know it's important. No, aim for the highest good. With my whole heart I seek you, God. Let me not wander from your commandments. So each day, Shepherd your heart to the word of God, to get the God of the word. See, how, how do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? Do you pray? And what do you pray for? What are you most aware of is your greatest need when you pray? Do you pray to God like, I need stuff from you, God? Or do you pray to God in a way that's primarily like, I need you, I love you? prayers of worship. When you read the Psalms, it's amazing how content David, when you read other prayers throughout the Bible, how content saints were to just worship God, to declare to him what God already knows about himself, who he is. Look for, in scripture, look for prayers, the response of, of godly people to God's blessings. Um, I think it's 2 Samuel 7, David, after he gets the, the promise of the king, uh, of being king. You have uh, Mary, after she's promised, after she's told she's going to have Jesus and who he's going to be. You look at the disciples, maybe after in, in Acts 4, after they've been persecuted. You have in all of these prayers and in so many others, you have just spontaneous prayer of worship to God, declaring to God who he is. Stuff that God already knew but prayers that are doing much to shepherd the hearts of the prayers and responding to God who he is appropriately. Question D, what lures your heart away from God? And how diligently do you flee this? Then come up with a couple questions on your own, right? I, I can't anticipate for you the questions that would best reveal maybe um, where you're falling short or where God is doing a great work in you to keep you guarding your heart to him. So some questions for me are, where does my thumb go when I start up my smartphone? I don't know if that's helpful to you. right? Your, your thumb, my thumb is a barometer of my heart. What I mean by that is, do you ever just, yeah, if I have a minute to kill, pull out your smartphone, open it up, and there is a whole list of apps here, each one competing for my, for my attention. And which one I click on might actually 
not only is it going to affect my heart, right? Everything that, that, that affects my heart is going to affect my life. It might not only affect my heart, but which one I choose and why I choose it is actually going to reveal quite a bit about your heart. What entertainment choices do you choose and why? What music do you listen to? What books do you read? I don't know. Fill in the blank. Come up with something for yourself. And then where you see sin, repent of it. Right? Repent of it because you want to get God and not wander from his commandments. So confess it to God as sin. Agree with God that it's sin. And then don't just sort of stop doing it. But when you confess it as sin against God, put it away and run as fast as you can the other direction. Towards God. Right? Um, I am out of time, so I'm going to have, I had a lot more, but I'm going to cut, cut all that short. And just, just pray with me that God would do, um, God would do this. And pray with me to thank God for what he's done uh, in the gospel for us. God, just thank you for your love for us. God, while there was nothing good in us, we were not trying to get to you. In fact, we were content in our sin and filled with hatred for you as sinners. You reached down and changed our hearts. Any good thing that we have, God, any obedience that we have, we declare that's not from us. That's from you. And so, God, we, we rejoice to, to say, um, or to declare to you evidences of your grace in us. God, every time that we open up your word, every time we encourage one another, every time we obey, we can say, we did this and it's from you. God, I pray that we would walk even more diligently in those good things. God, where there's sin, we're in this mixed state. We will have sin till the day we die. God, where there's sin, make us quick to see it. And where we see it, so quick to confess it. And that with all diligence, we would run from sin and run wholeheartedly to you. God, um, thank you for your word where you reveal who you are. And I pray for all of these women. I pray for me that we would have a renewed vigor and a renewed focus that when we open your word, we would open it to get you. And that would be the, the heart of our heart guarding. So when we ask, how are you doing guarding your heart? We would, be, we would know a little bit better what that means. And God, I pray by your spirit, we would do it a little bit better. God, we love you and we know that we love you only because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.